Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back. Hey, today we've got uh, another one brought to you by our friends at the National Conference on Youth Ministries, which is coming up in uh, just a few short months, January 4th through 7th. In Colorado Springs is when the National Conference on Youth Ministry will be held. Now, this is a conference for youth ministers and youth workers put on by youth ministers and youth workers. Now, along with hearing from veteran youth workers in the trenches, tough word to say, of youth ministry just like you, you will also be able to hear from speakers who are friends of the podcast, Randy Harris, Josh Ross, Jonathan Storman, and Nadia Bowles-Weber. Now, you can find out more about the schedule, make your hotel reservations, and register for the conference at the NCYM website, which is ncym.org. Make plans quickly to take advantage of the early bird rate, which ends October 12th. You'll be able to save $55 off the full price of the conference by doing that. So go to ncym.org and learn more about it. Now, on today's show, we've got our friend Richard Rohr coming back on. This is the third time he's done the podcast, and I'm super excited for you guys to get to hear this. Now, uh, as you guys know who have kept up with Richard Rohr, uh, you know that just a, uh, I guess it was last Tuesday, it was announced that he had uh, cancer. And uh, we do not talk about this. This was recorded Monday, the day before that. And so we didn't talk about it um, just because it hadn't been announced yet and all that stuff. But um, keep him in your prayers. And uh, he said something to me in the email a couple days ago. He said, it's all in God's hands and those are better than mine. And I really love his attitude about that. So uh, keep Father Richard in your prayers and get ready for some uh, awesome it's really awesome because Roar's on it. So here we go. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico again with our friend, Father Richard Roar. Thanks for having us, Richard. Wonderful to be with you. Thank you for coming here. Yes, well, I am excited to be here back at the same table that I was at just... Was it here that we met? Eight, okay. I guess it was eight or nine months ago. Was Beginning it? of the All year. Right. All right. Beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, um... You still haven't watched Breaking Bad, I'm assuming. We we discussed that before. You haven't done that. You haven't changed your opinion on that. You haven't well, started I, watching. I have nothing for or against you. I've just <laughs> never watched it. No. I know it's all based here, but yeah. Yeah, still nothing on that. Uh, obviously, the the big news that everyone's talking about, the Pope. Yeah, unbelievable. How, unbelievable. What have you been thinking about that? You know, I wrote a little piece, piece for the staff thinking I know a lot of our medieval Catholic legends and stories about saints. We'd call them miracle workers. And they'd say they would just walk through town and, well, just like Jesus too, people would be healed right to left. And the stories I have heard in the last five days of entirely changed attitudes, understandings of Christianity, Hmm. softening of hearts, returning to Christianity, it's just... He's a miracle worker. I, hmm. I think this is the power of the integral gospel. Really? When you live it and you are it, power flows out from you, you know? And you could just see the power flowing out from him. Hmm. I mean, he must have given, what, 15 different addresses or so. Yeah. But they were so well-crafted in terms of heart and head working together. And there's just not a lot of people on the scene who do that, you know, yeah. certainly not for Christianity. And so it's, yeah, we're basking. 
in the joy of it. I listened to something you did talking about some document. I don't even remember oh, what it was. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? It, Probably. Go ahead. Well, you, describe it. You, it was like 20-something minutes long, which is like three okay. times the length of your normal homilies. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking about how he's able to say things and that no one else can say. I and know. you said you were talking about how oh. some of those things are demonic powers, like these... Uh, these things are just so much bigger, and he's able to yeah, speak into those yeah. things without getting poisoned or something, which you would think someone who has that kind of voice would, would get would some get punishment. Or well, something. he is getting pushback. Uh, you probably heard that one where I was trying to describe what I think we mean by the demonic. Anything that's considered too big to fail, mm-hmm. yeah. anything that's above criticism is potentially demonic. Yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, the first demon you, you see in Mark's gospel is surprisingly, shockingly, in the synagogue, if you remember, saying that religion itself can be used for demonic purposes, you know, see, when it's above criticism. Yeah. You see? And you notice he isn't afraid. In fact, he speaks the hardest to the bishops and the priests and the insiders, you know. By far the mm-hmm. hardest, yeah. And that's definitely a Jesus move. Yeah, it, you got it, you know. Yeah. Whereas to the poor people, the prisoners, the mm-hmm. people in the hospital and, uh, and so forth, he speaks very compassionately. Uh-huh. Yeah. Definitely. And obviously we've seen those moving pictures of him, you know, greeting a child who's, no. who's sick and, and stuck in a, no. a, a wheelchair. Uh, the story about a family who drove up from Buenos Aires or something, really? like 1,800 miles and he called them in. They had, they got to meet him in person, and yeah. it's just some really picturesque moments. Yeah. Yeah. And as a Protestant, I'm going, well, I want a pope. <laughs> I want a pope too. If, These guys seem listen, great. If we had always had popes like this, hmm. the, the Protestant Reformation would not have been necessary. It would have been really. We would have reformed ourselves from the inside. You see yeah. what I mean? And uh, I can say a lot of the communist revolutions would not have been necessary. Because what communism was so angry at, like Russian Orthodoxy and uh, you know uh, Cuban Catholicism, is that we were so identified with the rich. And if we would have always had popes like this, you know, they would have not seen Christianity as their enemy, but their ally. Mm-hmm. How different history could have been. Now, there's no point in second-guessing the past, but I can't help but think of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, because his concern for the poor is one oh. of the things that the world has taken notice and said, really? this is very admirable. We, we like this. And obviously, mm-hmm. his name's Francis. You're yeah. Franciscan. <laughs> so you're, he's kind of playing for your home team, right? Yeah, we're quite excited, of course, that he, he took the name of Francis and that he better exemplifies Franciscan values, frankly, than most of us do. Hmm. So he's challenging us, too. Really? Yeah. Now, if people aren't familiar with uh, Franciscan values, obviously the concern for the poor is top-notch. It's right up, up, it, up there. There, along with creation, mm-hmm. brother, son, sister, moon. Yeah. You know, Francis loved the natural world mm-hmm. and saw God in the natural world. Now, I, I was thinking about you. I'm currently staying at my in-laws. I'm moving in, in the process oh. of a new mm-hmm. job, and you know how that is. And so my, my in-laws live kind of in the country, north of Austin. Oh. And so I was out in the morning going for a run, and I counted one time there were 11 deer out there. Wow. And I thought it would be funny if I said, hello, deer. To the, and I was making a joke yes, to myself. Yes. And then I found myself talking to the deer because I made a sentence. Oh which, that's very Franciscan, isn't it? It, it actually one is. One step away, right? And, you know, people would have maybe called that new age. But what you're doing 
is you're granting them subjectivity, mutuality, reciprocity. Mm-hmm. See, and Francis called all animals sister and brother. That's not playmaking. It's it's honoring the creation mm-hmm. as having an inherent dignity. You see? Yeah. Again, how different perhaps history would have been if we would have given the natural world, the planet, mm-hmm. the animals, that kind of respect. Do you think that's why people are so drawn to him, his concern for the poor and for creation? I think, I think those are two of the biggies for sure. Mm-hmm. But what you can tell is that love, he isn't pretending. He is a loving person. As one commentator, I think even on CNN, I heard say, you know, he's just a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a Christian. And we're just blown away because we've come to expect a lot of ministers not to be that Christian. Yeah. And when we see one who is, it just blows the top off our head. We're so excited. Yeah. He's he's great. Everyone, I mean, there are some, obviously, who are giving some pushback to him. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's probably stepped on some toes. Uh, I know you said one thing that didn't offend you, but you probably loved it. And and I don't know the exact quote, but it was it was an example of non-dualistic thinking where he was talking about the divide, just having good and bad, righteous and sinner. I don't know if you... you yes. Yeah. And he's probably talked about it multiple times, but that, I mean... That was, he did say it. Yeah, I heard that too. I forget which talk it was in. But let me point out something. The pushback is totally predictable. Really? Remember, when Jesus drove out devils mm-hmm. or worked miracles, he was accused of having a devil. That's... Mm-hmm. See, because when you, if if the diabolical is that which is too big to fail and above criticism, okay. then anybody who steps in and does criticize it will be accused of having a devil. You know, yeah. so uh, you you can bet there are going to be people who hate Pope Francis because mm-hmm. they don't know how to handle pure love. Pure love is always a threat. Because you want to categorize it. Well, he's Catholic, and I'm not supposed to like Catholics. So you'll find some kind of category that'll justify your hatred. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, obviously, I come mm. from a Protestant background. I am Protestant still. Um, And there's people from my tribe that go, what's the deal with the Pope? He's just a normal person. Why do we have to give him all this honor? What's the significance of him showing up? And um, obviously, it's different than, than what my side of Christianity does, yeah. but I think we can still look from the outside and go, yeah. I, I'm buying what he's selling. We, we like his concern for the poor and for nature. Oh, that's a beautiful there thing. There you go. Yeah, well, that's the only way to hear it. When you're at the tribal level of consciousness, everything is, is he in our group or not? It's ironic. The final mass he had yesterday in Philadelphia, I don't know if you heard it, but the first reading was from the book of Numbers. And this was the regular regular lectionary reading. But it's about the two guys being outside the camp who received the Spirit. And the people complain, you know, why were they given the Spirit of prophecy and they're not inside the camp? Mm -hmm. And this is where Jesus gets the line, if they're not against us, they're for us. Tribal religion sees everything in terms of group versus group, Mm -hmm. you know. Like I was, I listened to an evangelical music radio station and in my car when I'm driving around. And I was, I have to say, surprised and disappointed. What were you surprised about? That all the days he was here, at least when I was on, they never mentioned it once. Really? They acted as if it was not happening. So you have a national, international phenomenon, 
of the man who has the biggest pulpit for Christianity in the world. You can like that or dislike that. It's just a fact, but, but it's a fact. He has it. And we can't in any way even know how to connect with it. You yeah, know? Yeah. I think that reveals how tribal we all are. And we Catholics have been there too. I'm not criticizing anybody else. Yeah, we all but do. he's way beyond that. He's yeah. way beyond that. So you talk yeah. about consciousness. And I know you've quoted the Einstein quote about whatever level of consciousness causes a problem, it can't fix a problem. You have to have a different level of there consciousness. There you go. So you we'll, listen well. <laughs> I <did>. <laughs> <laughs> won't be the first time I quote you to you. But, okay, so if that's the, the understanding, like if, if we're stuck at this level of consciousness, that's not going to fix the problem. We've got to go to a different level. Absolutely. And so if there's some of my Protestant brothers and sisters, and your brother and sister as well, that are, are stuck in a level of thinking that says, he's the Pope, we're going to have either or. He has orn. to be bad. He, it's yeah. bad. He's not for us. He's against us. <laughs> like, what, what's your, like, the elevator pitch to say, hey, w- w- we can all be friends here. Even if well, we do things a little bit differently, how can, how can they learn to appreciate him? You know, this happens to be my uh, uh, daily meditations for this very week. I'm trying to describe how we all live inside of our own symbolic universe. And that doesn't change logically or rationally or logically. It, it, it just doesn't. It, it's really uniquely a work of God. It, it's what we mean by radical conversion. When your symbolic universe that you've c- created for yourself, inside of which you can be wonderful, by the way, uh, <laughs> that, that has to fall apart. Yeah. And that's the work of God. You know. So it, there's nothing you can say. Uh, you know, most people can only understand inside of their level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And if you're not using their symbol system, their vocabulary, I mean, we Catholics, let's say, just to pick on us, we did the same thing. Inside of our imaginarium, our symbolic universe, is Mary, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to prove your loyalty to a group of conservative Catholics, all you have to do is quote Mary, and then they trust you. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're you know? okay. yeah. Whereas in the Protestant world, if you do quote oh, Mary... Oh, no, we don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Does that give it away, though? Yeah. I mean, she is the mother of Jesus, you know. Well, you know, yeah, that, but, we appreciate it for doing that. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and, <laughs> but, but we have, you have such a bias against it because we overdid it, and I admit... And so we underdid. So there's so you underdid. There's it. no appreciation for it. There's yeah. no appreciation. So all I'm I'm not making one good and one bad, but I want to use that as an example of how we both live inside of our symbolic universes, yeah. neither of which are totally rational or logical. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, I mean the way Mary has been overemphasized okay. in much of Catholicism, a biblical person would rightly question that. It isn't rational. Do you understand? It's symbolic. It's symbolic. It's all about your symbol system. That's why people get so defensive about the American flag or any symbol. You know, symbols aren't rational. Hmm. They're symbolic. They're symbolic. And once you buy onto the symbol, boy, you better not stomp on my flag. Do you Mm -hmm. understand? So if I'm in a level of consciousness in which I've... Um, magnify the significance that a symbol has besides the work of God is there any like personal reflection I can do to help become aware of the things that I elevate uh, maybe above the level of significance they deserve normally in my experience you have to suffer a major humiliation 
of an area where you were righteous and certain. And it's proven to be totally wrong. You understand? That's not fun. <laughs> That's no fun at all. And if you never have that experience in your whole life, this is Paul on the road to Damascus. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you have to have your Damascus road experience. The very area where I was so dang righteous has been my undoing. You know, That's major conversion. Yeah. And we Catholics have to experience that and Protestants and everybody in between. No, you know? Yeah, that's true. It, it's true. And a lot of people will never allow themselves to be humiliated in that way. They will hold on to their... Huh. Let me... This will sound like a, an off-putting point, but it isn't because it's real easy to understand. I want you to picture three boxes. Okay. Call the first box order. Call the second box disorder. Mm-hmm. Call the third box reorder. Yeah. Right? Conservative people of any denomination, doesn't matter, tend to keep just doing the first box over and over and over and over again, reproving their first explanation is the only one, the right one. Mm -hmm. Liberal, progressive, academic, educated people tend to get trapped in the second box and disorder and revel in their cynicism. (laughs) <laughs> revel in their dismissive ability that doesn't mean that i don't yeah. believe that you get so tired of it after a while you know now that's the cross the disorder is the confrontation with tragedy absurdity when jesus was crucified there was no logical rational way for the apostles to figure this out you know he was just getting started mm-hmm. he was going to lead us to triumph yeah he's going to do big things <laughs> and he and it's over yeah can you imagine? It's totally being pushed into the, the second box of the uh, essentially tragic nature of human life, the, uh, the absurdity. Yeah, so how do we get to the third one? Then? That's the work of God to lead you through disorder to reorder, and that's resurrection. And now here's my final point. There's, there's no nonstop flight from the first box to the third box. I was going to ask that question. So everyone <laughs> yeah. has to go through you disorder. Have to, you have to, or otherwise you're in love with yourself and your own ideas, not God. So, see, yeah. God uh, has to lead you to a place where you're not in control, you do not understand, and that's when you plug into the new source, what the 12 steppers call the higher power. But up to that point, you you think you're drawing on God's power. You're really not. It's all about your power. You said something interesting about your phraseology about humiliation. You said you have to allow yourself to be humiliated. Is that like when I'm going to let myself be humiliated, that's how I get on the track of going order, disorder, reorientation? Is that, is that part of the process? You know, you don't go out and seek it because that would be an ego game too. But I'm yeah. telling you, you're still a very young man, but it will happen. There will be some things in your life that just won't go right. It will be yes. major suffering, major, maybe it'll be a death. I mean, eventually you'll face the death of your parents, your grandparents. When that happens, uh, you're in a temporary period of disorder where... Mm-hmm. I don't know that I like this world, the way it's structured, do you see? But that's what refines the soul. Now, let me add one more point. Okay. Uh, you sound like a Protestant preacher and I keep on adding points and points. I bet I do. <laughs> What's hard about your younger generation, not you because you grew up Christian, but a lot of the kids who grew up without any boundaries, any identity, any vision or meaning for life, they grew up. 
in the second box. That's yeah. a very difficult way to grow up. Like you've told me before, like conservative mm. is is the best, the best way to start. Yeah, okay, okay. It's, it's the best way to start. Because it gives you boundaries and guidelines, right. this is, but then you can eventually progress out of it. But yeah. if you start without ever having you those s- boundaries. That's right. What? You start in the second box of disorder where everything is cynical dismissal yeah. of there is no first box. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. There is no vision. Uh, it's only time will tell. Now, God isn't going to give up on them, but I am convinced they have a much harder time growing up because they flail around through most of their 30s and 40s looking for an absolute, looking for a certitude, you know? But they, and they can't find it. And they can't find it. Yeah. So uh, what do you think would help someone who grew up without ever being in that first box? Normally, it, I'm going to offer the same thing that I said about all of us. Okay. Who, who, did you say who didn't grow up in the well, first box? No, like, yeah, people who grew up without ever having a first the box. first box, yeah. They also have to suffer a major humiliation. That It's the cross. When I say major humiliation, I simply mean the confrontation with the cross. Uh, Interesting. That, that, uh, that you have to see the tragic sense of life, the, the absurdity of the human project mm-hmm. on, on some level. Some people, so for them, they also have to be humiliated that their cynicism has made them, let's say, I know some examples of this, totally unfit to be a good parent. Because you can't raise children disbelieving everything, dismissing everything. Yes. You, you create sassy sarcastic, silly children, you understand, (laughs) who have no respect for anything or anybody. And very quickly, it comes back toward you as a parent. And you realize, I gave my children nothing because I don't have anything to give them. So if you start in the second box, you also have to confront the cross. Now, can you hear at a whole new level, Luke, what we mean when we say we're saved by the cross? Yeah, but when you say like come in contact by, with the cross, be humiliated by the cross, you know, in the evangelical world, it's come to the cross. That's grace. That's love. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Like it, you know, Paul talks about the the foolishness of the cross. Yeah, the to, folly of the cross. But, but we don't do that. We just go to the cross, and it's Easter. Yeah. It's hey, this is uh, know. you know, you it's, had a debt. It's paid. You're going to get into heaven now. How is it? Can I give you a word? I, I hope it'll make sense. What you're describing, and we Catholics used to be there too, or most Catholics still are probably, uh, that's transactional Christianity. It's all about doing the transaction right, yeah. you see. It's not actually transformational Christianity, hmm. which changes your wiring, which changes your consciousness, where there's a, a, an intimate love affair going on between you and God that that utterly rearranges your universe, do you see? Mm-hmm. That's transformational Christianity. And I no offense, but I have to say, mm-hmm. a lot of my evangelical friends, when they finally grew up, was when they realized, as good as it was, their first 30 years of Christianity were transactional, not transformational. Yeah. That, I think that's a yeah. fair critique. A lot yeah. of yeah, the is. message that we hear is, is. Yeah. You, you receive Jesus, say this prayer, <laughs> and then you're going to go to heaven when you yeah. die. Who yeah. doesn't want that? Yeah. That's a very good transaction. And, and to know, so you don't think I'm picking on your group. We don't want to get into groups. <laughs> we Catholics did the same thing with the sacraments. Just get baptized, 
uh, get confirmed, make your first communion, and get married in a Catholic church. Transaction, 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 transaction. The marriage in the church, that's a big one? It was it until this generation, okay. probably. Yeah. I yeah. Didn't know that. Uh, it isn't so big now. Although, with many, it still is. Mm-hmm. But you could go through all four of those sacraments, as we call them baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, and matrimony. Mm-hmm. And not have your trans your mind or your heart transformed one iota. Yeah, you see, you yeah. you've used a phrase before, and I can't say because it it's not about my people. But you talked about uh, corner Catholicism, or some phrase like that. What was the word? You said it was like uh, cafeteria. Cafeteria. I thought maybe it was like corner, run of the mill corner, cafeteria. Oh, but, the, the the normal yeah the parish church on the corner. Well, anyway, the, yeah, the, yeah. maybe see, it's not my people, so I can't <laughs> yeah, say yeah, it right. Sorry. But the basic idea is that it's um, it's not really affecting who you are. It's not changing mm, your mm. worldview. It's not changing how you treat people. It's not changing how you treat creation or the poor or anything like that. What I was probably trying to say, Luke, was when religion is a belonging system that you're because. You live, I mean, the, when everybody was Catholic, your parish was the same as your neighborhood. So oh. you had to belong to your parish. It was part of your neighborhood. You yeah. see? But it was all about group, yeah. not really gospel. Yeah. 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 Well, we in Texas, we, <coughs> we still do that with our evangelical churches. Well, we you have do to, too. We, we do. have to be part of one. If Sure. The funny thing is, like, especially, I, I just moved from the Dallas area down to Austin. Um, actually, right now, I, my stuff is being taken down there. And uh, it's when when you ask someone what church are you a part of, like, if you don't say that, you're yeah. ostracized. Yeah. So you say, well, I, I'm a part of, you know, such yeah. and such church, even though you haven't been there in three years. Yeah. But <laughs> that's your, you have to say that that's a, a that's bad. That's a symbol system, I'm talking. Yeah. Reveal the right symbol, you're in. We're you're in. in. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but... What I keep hearing you talk about is like you have to deal with humiliation and you've got yeah, to be yeah. transformed. Sorry. And yeah, that's not, I don't want that. <laughs> I you, don't either. But I, I love the line you said um, in the, the book, actually right here, uh, Adam's Return. Oh, what did I say? Which, by the way, you last time we were here, you said, hey, you need to read this book. Oh, and you so, hadn't read it yet. And so okay. I, 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 I right. read it. Yeah. Right. And so you talked about that uh, spirituality is ultimately about how you deal with your wounds. Yes. What do you do with them? What do you do with pain? And, because you will have pain. We're yes. signed with the cross. Yes. There's a cruciform shape to reality. Sooner or later, the cross will approach you no. and so you give like these five things about like what life yeah. is life is hard uh, you're not that important it's not about you you're not in control and you're gonna die why you memorized them i'm impressed they're they are short <laughs> phrases so yeah, I can yeah, do yeah but they're not like hey know, jesus loves I know, you I know. and you're gonna always be happy like th- that those are just examples of how you're trying to flesh out this idea of mm-hmm. you've got to deal with your pain yeah you know, I don't know if you got to the end of the book, Luke, but toward the end, I give the five positive Yeah, messages. you spin that around. Yeah. yeah. That honestly, like historically, young men were who had stronger ego structures when culture was healthier and everybody was belonging together, you know. Uh, you could preach the hard initiating word even to a boy from 13 to 17. We can't do that anymore because we live in such a negative culture such a, frankly, unhealthy culture. That first they need, and this is what you would, evangelicals are much better at this than we are. They first need the good news that you are a beloved son of God. 
that your name is written in heaven, uh-huh. that neither death nor life nor powers nor principalities can take away the love of God from you. Do you mm-hmm. Once you, you pump them full of the, the good news, then you can dare to give them the five hard messages of initiation. So you said when the ego was stronger, you didn't mm-hmm. have to give them the good news. You could, you could let them yeah. have the meal and eat the vegetables first, and then you get your dessert. But yeah. now, you, that's not your metaphor, but, but you can one. use it if you want. But what, what is it about our society that makes us not able to do the traditional order? You said the well, it's not tied up with the first. See, when everybody more or less grew up in the first box together, I mean, a lot of this lasted as late as the 1950s. You weren't alive yet then. But uh, like when I was growing up in, in Kansas, mm-hmm. I mean, it was sort of a happy world. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Methodists all lived in their little camp and the Lutherans lived in theirs and we Catholics lived in ours. We each felt we were totally right and had the whole <laughs> truth. And it didn't have much depth to it. But I'll tell you, people were much happier. We didn't have the crime rate we have now. We didn't have the abuse rate. We didn't have the level of mental illness and neurosis we have now. When that whole coherence, uh, conformity, and there's a good side to those. Yeah. When that fell apart... We moved, and that began around 1968. We would call that the birth of postmodernism. So you and your children are growing up in a world where there is no big story that's agreed upon. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to give you some more bad news. The only common story that's agreed upon in the United States of America is I consume, therefore I am. You know? mm. I produce, therefore I am. The production, consumption, that's our storyline. You know, anybody who isn't producing, the poor, anybody who isn't consuming is not contributing or being clever and and, uh, cool. Uh, We don't recognize that we replace the gospel with a highly secular storyline, you know, and here... I would say liberals are just as much into it as conservatives, evangelicals just as much as Catholics. See, it's it's too big to fail. You can't call it into question. <laughs> what did yeah. I say about that? That's yeah. what when when the demons are hiding behind. That's when you get in trouble. Yeah. Now some might hear that and go, "Well, pre nineteen sixty eight, things were good. Crime rate was lower. Mental health was uh, was better. better. People were happier." Why don't we just try to get back there? Yeah. Why, why don't we just do that? Well, I think that's what a good Christian is hoping to do in the proclaiming of the gospel. Hmm. Just believe <laughs> in the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, and what he asks of us. But now we live in a world like what Pope Francis said in his final talk. He says, we've got to recognize the reality that the field in which we are planting the seeds are now, he used an interesting metaphor, crooked furrows. They're not straight lines anymore. It's very interesting. Mm, yeah. that, that we've got to agree. We've still got to plant the seed. But it, we're not marching in straight lines anymore. We're a pluralistic society with a high degree of atheists, agnostics, Jewish people, Hindu people, Buddhist people, who... We can't dismiss He said we can't exclude them from the table. We have to learn how to talk to them with respect. Uh, 
So he said the preaching of the gospel is much harder, much more difficult. So I wish like you do, if only everybody would recognize, you know, the wonderful good news and that it is good news. I mean, I'm a preacher too. Mm -hmm. But I now recognize when every time I preach, I have to find a seed to throw at every furrow, every level of consciousness, you know. Yeah, that I I have to, like if I'm in a Catholic parish, Mm -hmm. I have to quote something about a saint or a pope or Mary, and then the conservatives will say, oh, okay, he's one of us. (laughs) Then I have to say something about peace and justice and equality and the earth, and then the liberals will listen to me. Do you understand? Yeah. It's hard to be a preacher today unless you just want to keep preaching to the choir. In other words, the group that already agrees with you. Yeah, and it seems like you can build some good parishes, as you would say, uh, doing that. I mean, you can build That's some right. good churches if you just, just rally the troops, create yeah. a common enemy, there and then you, you just rally on that and stay yeah. there. But that's not... I would say that's most Christian communities I know. You know what, what you evangelicals beautifully call the Great Commission, which is to preach the gospel to all nations. Mm-hmm. The way I interpret that, is he saying, stop preaching it to yourself. (laughs) Get out of your own group, your Mm -hmm. own white, middle-class, American, suburban, which is fine for about five, ten years, I guess. But eventually, you got to move beyond that. Yeah, Yeah. You have some line about that where we can't go to the nations unless we get out of our own Mm -hmm. self first, right? That's that's, that's right. That's what you're saying. Like, we've got to... It's not a message for the rest of the world unless we get a, get away from our own. From our own. And then the wonderful thing we discover is that when we go to people who aren't like us, maybe black people, maybe poor people, maybe gay people, maybe imprisoned people, maybe uh, hospitalized people or, or handicapped people, the wonderful thing we call this reverse mission mm-hmm. is we find they are teaching us. Yeah. And it's both ways. Mm-hmm. See, when you go in thinking, as we Catholic missionaries did, coming thinking we were bringing the gospel to Texas or New Mexico or California, that was my order, the Franciscans. Really? We're the first ones in your state. You well, know, thank you. Way before the evangelicals <laughs> came in. Yeah, I think the first miss- missions were in Waxahachie. New, yeah, 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 exactly yeah, that uh-huh, is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and San Antonio, the ones you'd still know. Those are all ours, too. Mm -hmm. But I'm afraid, now that I sing our praises, you know, what we did, thinking we were the givers, and the poor native peoples were just the takers. Mm -hmm. Now, thank God there were some missionaries, like Junipero Serra in California, who was just canonized by the Pope, who recognize the Indians have something to teach us, you know? And it's a two-way giving and receiving. You can never come totally in the position of power Hmm. or you lose the gospel yourself. Now, some people hear that and go, well, I have the right story to tell you. And see, that's the lie. They only half have it. They think they do, but the very assumption that I have it is an arrogant position. Okay. What makes you think? You, I'm not saying this to no. you. What makes you think you're a converted person? Do you understand? But what? Okay, so yeah. let, let, let me apply the role then. But Go. I would say, well, this is me being a Protestant. Well, I have book, chapter, and verse, and this is <laughs> <laughs> this is what the Bible says. I know what the Bible yeah. says. This is the Word of God, and so I have this. They don't have it. Yeah. So of, of course, I I have the truth. So <laughs> all I can say is, I could tell you stories from every continent how that eventually backfires.
others. Because, no. because those who are given to finally hate you for your kindness. Because behind that kindness was a lot of imposition, not just of the gospel, but let's say in our case, American culture, American values. I mean, over here it was, they brought Spain. Nothing against Spain. Spain Much more than they brought the gospel. And, And we bring America. I mean, the American interpretation of the gospel is very much the American interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> it's hide, hiding behind consumerism, imperialism. Mm-hmm. It's totally aligned with war and power and money. But we can't see that because that's the only world that's we've ever thing. known. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's the only world I've ever known, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not picking on you. I, I'm no, one no, of no. them. You know, but those are the things you can't see when you're identified as the giver. Yeah. 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 One of the things that the, the branch of... Protestant Christianity that I'm a part of it's called the Churches of Christ mm-hmm. and one of the things our tradition has done we find that you know our missionaries will go they'll go somewhere they'll plant churches in say a developing country and they'll plant a type of Christianity that is definitely localized in a specific uh, decade say it's like the 1970s That's Christianity right. Right. and so you create create these 1970s Church of Christ churches in some, like say Africa somewhere and they get stuck right there, and they never, they, they, they can't. You got it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly. And we can't see that. For example, what you might learn is poverty and simplicity and humility from the, the native peoples. They're way more humble than I am. You yeah. understand? They're way more simple than I am. Are those not gospel truths? Yeah. <laughs> see? And instead of just our mental truths, well, we believe in the divinity of Christ and mm-hmm. the Holy Trinity and... I hope you do, but a lot of times we didn't believe in simplicity and humility. Yeah, generosity and, and, the same way. And the, and the things that yeah. the, the poor often had to teach us, or the native peoples. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, a friend who wrote a book called The Wealth of the Poor, which is a great oh, title. Just the, yes, there's mm-hmm. a, a generosity, a wealth that, that we can, as you know, middle-class Americans, learn from them. I, I went to Lima, Peru, probably... Oh. 14 years ago, uh-huh. 13 years ago, and we went to a very um, impoverished area, and we're in someone's home. There's like eight people that uh, live in a room that's half the size of this this yes. conference room right here. I've been there. And a lady there offers me uh, a glass of Coke. Now, I, I'm kind of a weird person. I, I don't drink sodas. I haven't mm-hmm. since I was like in eighth grade. Oh, that's good, and actually. That, uh, <laughs> well, I haven't except for that one. And she gave me this glass of Coke, and... The amount of expense, percentage-wise, of their family's income that was in that one two-liter sure, of Coke sure. was so much higher than any percentage mm. of gift that I would be comfortable mm. to give a guest in my house. I learned, I experienced the gospel yeah. of hospitality in that little cup of mm. you know room temperature Coca-Cola. Did you know? You know, you learn. I, I remember going to Nicaragua, and as soon as I entered this dirt floor house, I, I saw the mother beckon to the oldest boy. They had a bunch of kids. And in a few minutes, I heard a chicken squawking in the back. Oh, no. Yeah, they had just, she told him to kill the chicken. Oh, and I sit there talking to him while they're plucking it and cooking it. And oh. two hours later, I'm eating the chicken. But at, at exactly what you just said. The cost of that chicken in their life, I don't know how many they had in their, life, their yard, four or five. 
it was far more than a, uh, the percentage of what I was given them. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah, right. so definitely that idea mm-hmm. that I'm not the only one. Maybe. Okay, I want to go back to the what sure. you do with your wounds and, and your pain. Okay. So you have this line about you have to take uh, take your wounds, something about taking to like a sacred space. Yes. And that seems to be so counterintuitive because it seems like we want to get rid of our pain. We'll go put it at the altar, get rid of it. Jesus, will, we'll put it on the cross. We'll get a little card and we'll nail it to like a wooden cross. Mm. Say, there goes our pain. But what you're pointing to is, <coughs> no, you've got to do something different with that. Yeah. Well, God, uh, you've got to let God do something different. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean by the second box. That uh, If you stay in the first box, you try to avoid all pain. Mm-hmm. In the second box, you play the victim and you create victims of other people. <laughs> Who These people are bad. Those people are bad. Listen, you get so tired of it from liberals just saying, who are the bad people who have oppressed us, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and third box is transformed pain where I let God work with me. Yeah. I don't make victims of other people. Nor do I play the victim myself. And a lot of people do that. I would say that's half of America. And that's a power move, is what you said. Of course it is. It's a power move. See, yeah, it's good insight. When <laughs> your you, insight. When you refuse to do that, when you refuse to do that, then you, the things you can't do anything with and the things you can't do anything about are the things that do something with you. So when you hold the pain, like, and I see the nailed hands of Jesus on the cross as the dramatic, geometric, almost symbol of the cost of holding the pain, just hanging there with it till it changes you. Now that change is called resurrection. You understand? Mm. Till the crucified body of Jesus is transformed into pure resurrection. So he becomes... I don't think you can get a better symbol. This is why I can't give up on Christianity, even though I honor all of the world religions. You just can't get any better than the meaning of cross and resurrection. It's all there. So you hold the pain until it changes you. You I'm going to repeat one more time. You don't play the victim for your own self-aggrandizement, as half of America does, liberals as much as conservatives. You don't make a victim out of anybody else. You don't project your pain elsewhere. Do you realize how rare that is? People who, it, it's the Jesus way, you know, mm-hmm. who, who holds the pain instead of playing the victim game, you know. Yeah. And therefore, he does the victim thing right. Yeah. That's the way I love to say it. And so when we speak of Jesus as the victim on the cross. You've got to realize he's totally redefined victimhood. Now that's transformation. Ah, that's good. That's good. It, I hate when people, you know, do the, you know, act like the victim because it inconveniences oh. me so much and <laughs> makes my life so hard. I can't believe they do that to me when they act like victims. No, but I, I love. I'm kidding, of course. No, but it's true. Yeah. I, I, I actually agree with you. But like your your line, which I love so much, and I've, I've said it so many times throughout the years, is if you don't transform your pain, you'll transmit it will, with 100 percent certitude. Yeah. You will transmit it. Yeah. Because it's hanging there. You see, there's no elsewhere for pain to go. There's yeah. no elsewhere in the spiritual world. You, you have to get rid of it. And if you don't transform it, you will get rid of it. And watch your mind do this. When, when you're unhappy inside, 
you, you'll, why weren't you on time today? You know, mm-hmm. or you'll project it onto some other person in the office or probably even your children or your My wife. wife or, yes. Yeah. We, we do it normally to the people closest to us. Yeah. When we're anxious, the people closest to us get it. <laughs> yeah, that's. that's I'm amazed any marriages last when you think of it. You know, <laughs> really, really. Um, yeah, I'm grateful. My wife is very forgiving because mm. over 12 years, well, I'm I sure might have done that too. once or twice. Maybe <laughs> this morning before I left Texas. Who knows? I don't think so. But like, I, good spirituality is about dealing with those wounded. It really wounds. is. It's all about what you do with your pain. I get, let me repeat it because you will have pain. Mm-hmm. That's, that, the first, that's a given. That's the first one. That's a given. Yeah, life, life is hard. Yeah. But you also talk about like death. Yeah. Like death is going to happen, which yeah. I, I guess we all know this, like conceptually. Conceptually. But you, you quote some of Becker's work, oh, uh, good. Denial of Death. I think that's the yeah, of his book. Yeah. But he talks about um, like the male hero stuff in America is just basically like I'm trying – you okay? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you got wrapped up in the cord yeah, there. Yeah, um, but like he, he talks about like this male hero stuff often is just our way of pushing away from death. And we're, we're running from that. Yeah. He speaks of the heroic life project yeah. that all attempts at heroism. And he makes a pretty strong case for this in his book, The Denial of Death, are an unconscious but very real attempt to overcome death, to immortalize yourself in this world. So even after I die, I will still be alive. Yeah, yeah. if I'm a big enough hero, um, then I will transcend even death itself. There you go. Yeah, it's, I would call Ernest Becker's book, it won the Pulitzer Prize back in the 60s, one of the five most important books I ever read. Really? It's heavy. Top five? It's, I would. I'd put it in my top five. And it's not as such a theological book. And I, I, of course, love theology. If you'll allow me to use a, a, an off-color word, he uses it in the book. But it, it's necessary to make the point. <laughs> My mother told me never to use this word on, in public. But <laughs> to get the shock of the human person, mm-hmm. Ernest Becker in that book says, the human beings, human beings are gods who shit. <laughs> God. And to put those two together. It's, it's just, a humanity. Yeah, absolute humanity and yet children of God. Yeah. And that dualism, gods who shit, it's just, ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh, they don't cohere. They yeah. don't coincide. They don't. And yet he says that's the project of recognizing hmm. We are both. We are just as Jesus, human and divine. I mean, we've got to believe Jesus urinated. Jesus mm-hmm. was a human being. Now, we don't want to say that. because mm, We're not going to say we're that. We're not going <laughs> to say that because, wow, that makes him a little bit too human. Yeah. We don't want him to be that human. But unless we go to that level, we don't catch the, the shocking paradox that Jesus has overcome in himself and therefore... Uh, tells us to follow him. What I have done, you also must do. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've got an, a friend who's also named Richard who, who's done some work about saying, like, if you look at some of the vulgar words in our language, a lot of them are tied to, like, our bodily functions. Almost and, always, and, yes, yes. And they can be reminders of, like, we are mortal people. Yeah. We are mortal people, and this is something that we think is profane. Yeah. And that's, like, we're pushing away from death. Yes. But second half of life spirituality, as you call it, is embracing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you talk about first half of life, you're you're trying to get your morals and self control. You're wrestling the devil. Second half, 
you're dealing with your mortality. You're wrestling yeah. with God. And ultimately, that's right. You always lose. Very good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. You made a very good point there that if you look through most so-called off-color words or vulgar mm-hmm. words are based on body functions that we're ashamed of. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. You know, or sexual mm-hmm. functions. Yeah. Which shows we're probably ashamed of that too, I guess. I mm-hmm. But that's, yeah. but we're humans. We're mortal. <laughs> we have to be embrace that and so if a good spirituality understands that this is not forever yeah yeah which is not a but it seems like the message of christianity in the way that i've heard it packaged so much is if you buy into this then guess what you're gonna trump all death and so we're gonna make death not an any uh, like not an issue anymore and so the way we pitch that seems to be like we're gonna jump over this too Mm. the gospel the false preaching of the gospel actually becomes another heroic project whereby I can jump from the first box to the third box without going through the second. Mm -hmm. Avoid trying to have resurrection without the cross. You You, uh, you think that's what it is? Is like we just go right to Sunday and we don't sit and Friday and Saturday? Very often, what else would make the young ego grab on to the gospel? It's not a desire to face death. It's a desire to overcome death. And that's, God understands that. Mm -hmm. And God works with that. God is very humble, you know. Uh, But it's only when you get my age and death becomes very much a reality that you have to say, I I don't know that I want to go there at all. I'd I'd like to still find a way to avoid it. Yeah. It becomes much more real. Yeah, Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, I just had a birthday, so I'm 34 now, oh, so I'm getting closer myself. Beautiful. But uh, for me, like death is this, uh, you know, uh, intellectual exercise. That I That's think right. about it's not a something. It's not on my calendar. It's no, not no, down it shouldn't the road. Be. God mercifully hides that from you, hmm. that it isn't in the forefront of consciousness. Thank God. Mm-hmm. You know, it only begins sinking down in the mid 40s. You sort of know, oh. I'm in the second half. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, you're not supposed to be thinking about it now. You're supposed to be living out of vitality. Mm-hmm. But you're still signed with the cross. Hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it will... Yeah, and we get signed will, with the ashes uh, you know, yeah. every year. And, and we're reminded, from dust I came into dust we shall return. There we go. Which seems like it's a very macabre kind of spiritual mm-hmm. exercise. Yeah. But there's something very truthful about yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Like there's life-giving... Yeah. Help for those of us who can't imagine the practice of being aware of your own mortality as being anything but macabre. How can we see that as you know a uh, a healthy spiritual endeavor? Well, I, I the first thing that comes to me is just to recognize that it's not macabre, although it feels that way when you're young. It's utter realism. It's uh, it's yeah. everything changes shape and form in the entire universe Mm -hmm. just wait a while everything gas liquid you know solid and then wait a million years and it's different Mm -hmm. Uh, nothing is is the same now in catholic language we call that the paschal mystery of loss and renewal everything goes through processes of transformation so once you realize that that death is a part of the cycle of life it's not separate from it Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the cycling of it. And uh, let me go one step further with that. That once you know that, then resurrection is not so hard to believe. It's not this huge leap of faith that you first imagine it might be. You know, mm-hmm. Life returns to life in new forms, but has to go through 
dying in its present form. You see, yeah. this is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. It's all there. His marvelous reflection on resurrection. It's good theology, but it's good philosophy too. Hmm. Uh, read it in that light. Well, I'm they preaching that death, in four weeks. Death has no victory. It's over. The, once we know that the cycle is, is, you know, we come forth from God, we exemplify the journey of God as in Christ, and then we return to God. You know, it's cyclical. Yeah. It's cyclical. Yeah. Uh, and that God is saving history and, and the universe, everything through this pattern of death and resurrection. And we're the conscious beings who can trust it who can allow it, who can say yes to it, who can trust God in it, that welcome sister death, as my father St. Francis said. But that's still a leap of faith. I'm not saying... Oh, um, I've never heard that trust... Well, the sister death, ahead. I haven't heard that either, but trust in death. Like that's... I'm, my mind is blown. I don't know, mm, even know what to say oh, about that's that. That's beautiful. That means you're listening at a deep level. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, trust that even the death is a part of life. But it's our final great surrender to say you're even in this yeah. as you've been in all the smaller deaths. So what we're doing in the middle of life, like the little hardships you go through in raising your children or your wife went through in giving birth to those three children. Those are little deaths and you're practicing for heaven. You're saying, look, I didn't die. I didn't really die. In fact, I came into a larger life by this pretty little girl that I now have, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, it's always on the other side that you know it worked. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, before it, you're all, it's always a leap of faith. You're not sure. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> it didn't kill me yet. It didn't kill me. So is that like a, a, an exercise to do as you're going through trials and adversity? We get to the other side and say, okay, I thought this was going to be the end of me, mm -hmm. but I'm still here. Yeah. I thought that would never be uh, overcomable, but yeah. it was overcome. Yeah. And so now that you have that sort of, I don't want to say pattern. muscle. Yeah, pattern. yeah, that pattern, that yeah. habit. And so yeah. once you face, you are on the very doorsteps of death, you can say. Well, I did it when I was 45 and 62, and why not now at 75? Really? You know, sort of like that. that. But if you've never practiced, if you spent your whole life denying every pushback, every surrender that was asked of you, you're not ready for heaven, to be perfectly honest. I'm not saying you're going to hell, I heard but it. you're you not ready me. for heaven. Yeah. You're not ready for eternal life because you want your little small life. So Jesus had to die so that the eternally resurrected Christ could be born. You see, mm -hmm. Jesus died on the cross. Christ was revealed beyond any limitation of space and time present in this room mm -hmm. here with us right now. That's our belief, you know. And we've made resurrection a miracle, a one-time miracle that happened in the body of Jesus instead of Jesus revealing the universal pattern. And he trusted it. You know, is it in the Psalms, several places, it says, no one has ever trusted in the Lord and been put to shame. That's all we're saying. Trust again, and you will not be put to shame. Mm. That's some good news right there. Oh, that's the heart of it. That's good news. Yeah. And like Paul says, I mean, he is the first fruit. This there, is the first one, and there's more coming. That's right. The very fact that he uses the word first implies there's a second, and uh -huh. that's us. Yes. That's right. Very good. That's very some good. good news right very there. Very good. Well, you know your scriptures. That's why I like to talk to evangelicals. You know? Well, just don't ask me about Mary, because I've got no clue about that. And I get a little bit scared. Oh, that's good. 
That's good. Okay, so I've got one more question. Sure. No, go um, ahead. I'm new to this whole Catholic thing, but who do I need to email to get you on the next ballot for the next post? Oh, stop it. Do, do, do I need to start a Facebook group or something like that? <laughs> You're good. Oh, my goodness. That's... <laughs> when I when I watch Pope Francis, I realize what a burden that office must be. I wouldn't want to get close to it because every word you use is parsed, every yeah. gesture you make, the motivation is critiqued. Mm-hmm. Ooh, but you do get some pretty sweet clothes. Uh, yeah, nice outfit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, Richard. Thank you so much for the time. It is always no, a pleasure. You still have a few more minutes. You want to talk some more? I got a question about prayer. I, I don't want to rush you. Go no, no, no. Prayer. I, Go I, prayer. Okay, let's do a prayer question. All right. Good. This is kind of like a callback. You said, give me another question. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you another question here. Okay, so the first time I came out to Albuquerque, I said, I'm going to ask Richard about prayer. And because I have a series about prayer, I'm going to preach on. Oh, and, good. and then, so I came out here, and we didn't talk about prayer. You never got to it? <laughs> we didn't talk that well, much about it. let's do now. Though. Okay, so I, the, the type of prayer that in your writing that I've been kind of directed towards is I've... Uh, try to understand this non-dualistic contemplative life that you are practicing heaven now, like prayers, pra- yeah. which is a great line that you yes. had. Yeah. Um, for, for some, they hear that and they go, okay, we're going to be aware of the presence of God. We're going to live in awareness that God is all around us. It Sometimes it seems like, well, I'm not asking God to do anything. Instead of saying, God, help me get this raise at work and help my daughter to get into this X, Y, and Z. It seems like we, we talk about being aware of God, okay, but it seems like God really is less involved because I'm not relying on God to, you know, make sure I have enough money to pay for the grocery bill. Okay, uh, where we almost all start, starting with our childhood prayers, and I'm sure you're teaching your three little girls, is we ask God for things. Bless mommy, bless daddy, bless mm-hmm. the dog. and that, But it limits us to intercessory prayer where God becomes a problem solver. It isn't mm-hmm. yet the love of God, but it's the training and a little bit of trust of God that God is good mm-hmm. and that God cares. That's a good start yeah. to just be able to, to believe that. But um, the, when we talk about contemplative prayer, we're talking about a resting, an abiding, yeah. uh, it doesn't have much to do with asking God for things, although you you wouldn't be afraid to. But it, it doesn't start there. It's much more uh, a, a co-participation. Mm-hmm. What you find is that when when it comes into your mind, well, I should say a prayer now, like maybe when you were driving here uh, today or got on the plane to fly here. Well, I should say a prayer. The very fact that that thought came into Luke's head. What I would believe, and I mean this sincerely, God just touched you to hmm. to want you to speak to Him, as it were. You understand? Yeah. In other words, all prayer is seconding the motion. God is always the initiator, as Romans eight says. The Spirit comes to help us in our weakness. Uh, God always takes the initiative. And, and this pattern only becomes clear to you as you get older. You see, I hardly ever initiated anything. It was always a little tap on my head or my heart or my body reminding me that the presence was here or the lover was here. And then I would say, oh, I'm going to talk. But it's because you were just talked to. I really believe that. So even yeah. just the desire or the thought, I need to pray. God gave you that desire. It's almost like God is ringing the phone and you're answering. There you go. So there God you go. is calling. Yeah. Yeah. 
What about if you create, and obviously I know in y'all's tradition you do this all the time, like where you have customary times to pray. Yes. And so for you, it's seven times a day or whatever. And for us, it's a quiet time in the morning. Sure. Um, And it's just like, well, that's what I do. I I make my breakfast, I read this, and then I go pray. Uh That's just my routine. Are are we going to say that God is just as much in that routine as he is in... Yeah, it's probably the only way to start. Like I was raised exactly what you said as a young Franciscan. We chanted in the course of the week all 150 psalms, you know. That's a lot of and chanting. That, that was, yeah, and that was entering the chapel seven times a day, you know. It was beautiful. The people would come and listen to our Gregorian chant. But I, I can now see that most of it was a performance. I, I don't mean that to sound terribly cynical or negative, but, you know, it was trying to please God or trying to feel godly. It was a, it, it was a transaction, hmm. to use that word we used before. And probably the good Protestant does the same thing. You have your little prayer time, your little Bible reading time, mm-hmm. your little journaling time. <laughs> what else can you do to get started? Those are the necessary practices, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, the word yoga, which scares so many Christians, is simply the Hindu word for practice. That you need to do something to rewire the body and the mind and the heart. That's yeah. all. And and you have your practices, your yoga. Don't be shocked by that. <laughs> we have our little practices and yogas uh, by which to rewire our body, our mind, and our heart. And in the end, I don't think one is much better than another. The only people I know who pray well are those who keep praying. Like yeah. if you really yeah. you keep faithful to your whatever your evangelical practice is of scripture reading and journaling, uh, and if I would meet you again twenty years from now, I would see the fruit of it. You understand? Yeah, yeah. And we had different Catholic ways: the chanting, the Psalms, the Rosary, the Mass. They were a little more elaborate than the Protestant ways, and that very elaboration started getting in the way. I'd be the first one to admit that. But for many people, it worked. Mm-hmm. It got them there. Yeah, I find yeah. myself, uh, I, I am a, uh, a yogi of, I don't know. Well, that's I good. Know that's cool the word. Yeah. yeah, of the uh, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy oh on me, a sinner. Wow. And so, that's ancient. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. For, for an evangelical, that's mm-hmm. real hard to do. I feel like mm-hmm. I should just you know, talk to God from my heart. Uh, but that becomes my heart. I'm, I'm saying that in jest. But what I find myself is that's a, a breathing prayer. It's part of the way I... I inhale and then Lord Jesus and then exhale. And so I find myself in moments of when I take a deep breath, it's almost like God saying, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Pay attention right here. And so I find from from my personal experience of just doing that for years that God shows up in that practice. Yep. Well, you understand. No wonder you're wise beyond your years of 34. (laughs) You need, it, it has to very often be something repetitive like that. That's what the rosary was. It doesn't matter what the words are. It's just pushing the beads through your finger held you there for 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 I've read some social science stuff that says when your fingers are doing something that's a menial task that it lets the brain kind of slow down. And so I found myself when I use prayer beads for that same thing, it kind of slows me down. You've used prayer beads. Don't tell anyone. I'm impressed. No, I'm going to lose my evangelical cred if people know that. No, that's lovely that you're that free. No, they hang from my my rear view mirror, my truck. So I think I'm kind of giving away because I need them Uh, definitely when I'm driving. That's beautiful. And you know, when, I don't know how much of my history, you know, but 
when much of my journey began, at least my public journey, was in 1971 when I was preaching to these young jocks in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I did not consider myself by any means Pentecostal or charismatic, but these boys began singing in tongues. Really? And I can pray in tongues right now. I know how to do that. But I recognize even that was a, a yoga, was a an practice. exercise, was a practice. And, uh, but it was, you notice what it is, incoherent babbling. Anything you repeat over and over again has the function of stopping your addiction to your normal thinking. You hmm. That's meditation. Yeah. That's contemplation. So remember what Paul said in Corinthians. And I'm not here to push tongues. I don't do it a lot I anymore. But he, he does say it is a gift of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. He says it's the least of the gifts, but it still is a gift. Yeah. You know? I, and here's something both evangelicals and Catholics have ignored. You understand? Yeah. But if you look at what it was trying to achieve, I would totally agree with the Pentecostals. I think they're right. I think it's a great way to start. Yeah. Right? Just as God started the church with Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. I had a roommate in college who came from a Pentecostal tradition. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And so when we would pray, he would do his speaking in tongues thing. And I'll it was... It was like the military in the, the, the early 90s. It was like a don't ask, don't tell policy. It was like, you, whatever you're doing, I don't want to know. But uh, we're cool, but I just don't want to hear about it. So uh, that's funny. And I also like the idea that the incoherent babbling of repetition, yes, because yes. that makes me feel a whole lot better about my preaching, too. Oh, how beautifully <laughs> I'm said. God, yes. That's lovely. No, that's good. <laughs> hey, this has been a blast. I'm going to let you get out. I know you've got something you got to run yeah. to. But, Richard. Thank you so much. My privilege. You've got a beautiful heart and a good mind. And your wife and children are very lucky. I'm going to definitely <laughs> make her listen to that part a whole lot. <laughs> That's Thank great. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>